Thanks for listening to the Media People Podcast, lively and insightful chats with the people who power the media industry. I'm your host, Victor Genova. For more episodes, you can go to mediapeople.ca or subscribe wherever you get podcasts. Views expressed by participants are personal. For most of us, 2020 hasn't been good for business. But if you work in the sport media world, it has been an absolute disaster. Professional leagues abruptly shut down mid-March because of COVID-19 and would subsequently spend months trying to find ways to safely restart. And for today's guest, Jamie Saul, he saw his professional world come to a grinding halt. Jamie's the head of brand partnerships at TSN, a Canadian sports media brand that produces live broadcasts and news content for its portfolio of online, TV, and radio platforms. When the sports world stopped, Jamie had to think fast in order to keep clients invested in TSN. Jamie has always been a sports nut. Playing and watching was a big part of his youth. And when it came time to pick a university program, he enrolled in sports business. He landed his first gig at the CBC while in university. From there, his professional career began to take off, and it was doing so well that he had to defer graduation for years until the final class he needed to complete his degree was available online. Jamie Saul drops by to chat about his passion for sports business, rising through the ranks at TSN, to leading their brand partnerships division during what's arguably been the professional sports world's most challenging time. I wake up every day trying to build cool programs. Uh, in a nutshell, we work with brands, leagues, partners of every sort, agencies direct uh, to really bring their brands to life, uh, leveraging not just TSN, but Bell Media's assets. Uh, we also oversee all of our talent when it comes to brand programs. And so we we kind of act as quasi uh, talent agents, for lack of a better term, whether it's through an influencer program or a larger scale multi-platform program. But we also do our own in-house productions and creative. So when we do build these programs, we look at it from a strategy, development, execution, creative and production lens, which is kind of cool and something that, you know, before this I had never really done before. So it, it kind of combines those three groups into one to really truly make it a one-stop shop. We pride ourselves on, you know, viewing what we do as we're offering something like we, we view ourselves as a sport marketing agency that just happens to have a massive distribution, you know, channel behind us in the form of uh, not just DSM, but Bell Media. So in a broad, broad nutshell, that's what we do every single day. Let's go back to the beginning. Where are you from? Where am I from? Uh, born in Scarborough, but uh, grew up in Ajax, Ontario for uh, the better part of my current life. And now I'm in Whitby, Ontario. So I have not gone too far. So basically suburban East End Toronto. You got it. With a dabble up north in Sudbury for four years for university. What was life like growing up in Ajax? Uh, it was, I mean, I guess by my standards, normal. Um, I'm the oldest of four boys. And so sports was a huge piece of, of our livelihood, but also just competition in general, whether it was, you know, who would finish eating first to, you know, who would be you know, scoring the big goal outside when we played road hockey. We were very much um, a family defined by the street lights. You know, as soon as they came on, we had to come inside. So we'd be outside from the moment we wake up until those lights came on. And that's kind of what dictated most of our lives for all of us into our, our teen years until we left. So you'd say that sport was probably your biggest interest or hobby growing up then? Or the only, if I'm being frank. Or like the it only. Just, it was all consuming. And I think 
you know, obviously at the time we didn't get it, but we can say it now, like sport transcends culture. Like there's a lot of different aspects that you can tap into. And so everything we did was competition and sport-based. So I, I would say it was probably one of the only interests, but I had a lot of many, many tentacles. So who did you look up to growing up was, I got to assume it must've been an athlete or athletes based on what you just said. Not really. I've never really had a role model per se. Um, you know, when I was younger, I don't think I could say this, but now I can, like, I, I tend to learn more from just experiences. Um, you can learn a lot from different people. And so, you know, to, to pinpoint one person or a group of people, I don't, I don't think I could do, I know others can, but it was just, it was a combination of, of just learning every way you looked. And I still, to this day, um, do that. You didn't or, have, a, I would say, or I would say Ken Griffey Jr. I was just about to ask, like, who did you have on your wall? Like what poster? Cause all of us growing up had at least one athlete on our wall at some point. Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, he was on my wall as a kid and he's on my wall as an adult. Um, I have a signed bat that I'm staring at right now that hangs on my wall in my basement. Uh, he was, if I had to pick an athlete, he was the guy for me. The Seattle Mariners back when Griffey and A-Rod were kind of in their Seattle prime. And he just had this, the sweetest swing of all. And it was, he, he was just one of those all round, you know, 360 athletes. That again, I don't think I fully appreciate at the time. I just like that he could hit the shit out of the ball. And I remember I went to the Sky Dome for one of my birthdays to see the Mariners play the Jays. The the Jays were winning, and I might get it wrong, but I I'm whatever. Who's gonna fact check it? I oh, I can totally go on Wikipedia after and fact check this, but go for it. I'd rather you don't because it's I gonna won't. sound cooler if it's if it's true. Um no, I think the Either Ken Griffey Jr. or Alex Rodriguez hit a grand slam like for the Mariners to win the game and either, you know, the either put them ahead in the eighth or actually win it in the ninth. So that was really cool for me as one of likely the only people in the entire building who wanted that to happen. But uh, Ken Griffey Jr. is definitely the athlete if I had to pick one. Tell us what your first job ever was. First job ever. I applied to be a paper boy and I didn't get it. So that was awesome to start. Really? But- yeah, you, don't know Did why. you have an interview process or did you just send in the application? I was probably like eight years old. I don't even think I knew what an interview process was. So I probably just I w- thought I applied. <laughs> I was a paper boy too. And they, I was a paper boy too. And they interviewed me. It was awkward. Well, you at least got it. Uh, I probably saw the ad in the paper and thought that was me applying. It's like the scene in the office when Michael Scott just comes out and declares bankruptcy and thinks that's how you do it. Um, <laughs> but the first job I ever had was like, I think most, uh, just working at a grocery store. So I worked at a, a Loblaws at the time. I, I was in the deli cutting lunch meat for people every single day. So you're so just working awesome. the machine? Working the machine, smiling and keeping people fed. So that was, I think it was through high school. I did that as my part-time job, uh, which was actually, I mean, believe it or not, I joke about it, but it was actually pretty cool. A, we got paid, which was awesome for the first time ever because of the aforementioned newspaper gig that didn't come through. This was my first experience with a paycheck. But then also the the people. There was there was a couple of people who actually had to run the thing because, you know, us in high school, I don't think if they left it up to us, this would have been a, a great a great business decision on their end. But I actually made some pretty good friends that I'm like still friends with to this day, which is bizarre if you actually think about it. So yeah, I, I cut meat and I occasionally had to sub in 
at the seafood department, which was a nightmare. Uh, I'm not a big seafood guy, and it's probably Neither because am I. Oh, God. Like, you would just come home and smell for weeks, like the bottom of the earth. It was horrendous, but got to do it. And so I you did know, that until I guess I went to university. I can empathize with the meat cutter quite a bit. I mean, my last name, Genova, Italian descent. My grandparents had one of them. Like literally they went out and got probably the closest thing they could get for a consumer that would otherwise be used at the grocery store. And that was the thing. They'd buy slabs of meat and cut it themselves just because they wanted to do it. The thing that drove me nuts um, in that job is it's actually related to your last name. So Genoa salami, Um, (laughs) non-Italian people would call it Genova salami. Just that's the story. There's nothing else more than that. It just drove me nuts because there's not a, there's no V in Genoa. But anyway, do you want to know the, it's actually a translation. I'll tell you this much. Genova is the, it's technically pronounced Genova, but Genova is the Italian way of saying it. And dropping the V is the Anglophone way of saying it. Kind of like Torino and Turin. There you go. See, I learned something. There, there's the bit of knowledge today. <laughs> Here I was thinking I was going to do all the teaching and I've already learned about Italian ancestry. <laughs> there we go. After high school, though, you packed your bags, and you already alluded to it. You relocated to Sudbury for university. What made you choose Laurentian University? Uh, If I'm being honest, it was not my first choice, but it kind of worked out okay. So I I knew, as I mentioned earlier, my only interest was, was and I guess is, sport. Um, So I knew I wanted to do something related to it. And I guess in high school, I thought I was smarter in an IQ sense than I actually was. I was like, I'm going to go into sport medicine. That's going to be awesome. Like I'm going to be a sport doctor and work for the Leafs or something. turns out you need to be pretty bright to do that. So I said, instead, let's do sport law. I'm going to be an agent because I probably saw Jerry Maguire. Um, I'm a pretty impressionable person. And then I realized you also need to be smart to do that. And then I actually took an accounting course in I think grade 11 and I did okay. And it kind of opened up my eyes a little bit to, you know, the numbers and the business side of sport, which hadn't really been a consideration before. Cause you don't just, you don't hear much about it. Uh, again, the agent is really the only side or the GM, everyone wants to be the GM. So that kind of made me look into things. And, you know, when I looked at post-secondary, obviously Brock had their sport management program. And then I think you went to Brock, didn't you? We could have been classmates. That was my, I, I did the program there. Yep. So I, I looked at that. Um, and then I was pretty set on like, oh, I'll just apply. Like I'm, if I don't need to put in, like if I know what I want, I'm just going to do it in the sense that I, that was the school I thought I'd want to apply to. So I wasn't going to explore other ones. And then I ended up going to the Toronto job fair or a uh, university fair that was likely held at the convention center. I wonder when we're going to see those again. I, I was just, you know, walking around as you do. And there was the booth for Laurentian university. It wasn't the biggest booth in the world. not the biggest school. And so I just, I went over to find out more information because I heard they had a sport program. And so they had a, a guy there uh, who tuned out to be a professor there, uh, Steve Harrington. And he, he was quite the character. I don't really know how to describe Steve. Um, he was a professor and a lawyer, but you would never guess it. And I think that's the best way I can put it. He's, he's since passed away since I've, I've left school. And so we, a lot of our classmates talk about Steve still to this day. Actually, I was talking to someone last week about him. He was just one of the the man of the people. Uh, anyway, so I, I went up and just like grabbed a pamphlet and was going to probably shove it in my back pocket and just pretend I saw a bunch of schools. But then he just started talking and it was 
it was different because he wasn't selling the school. He was just talking and he kind of threw in these, oh, by the way, pieces that, you know, turns out to be in selling. And so I looked into it more and I thought, hey, this could actually be pretty cool. And I actually found out that it was, uh, they offered a Bachelor of Commerce uh, with, in, within sports administration. I think, Brock, it's the Bachelor of Arts, if I'm not mistaken. Bachelor of uh, Sport Management. Sure. Whatever that means <laughs> these days, I don't know. Uh, but anyway, like the, it just goes back to the accounting class. I'm like, okay, the commerce thing, maybe that could be cool. Uh, and so I applied and I think I applied to Brock and also York and yeah, it just kind of, it just happened. And so I, as you said, packed my bags and went up North and man, was it cold. Apart from being cold, was there any sort of like culture shock? Because I mean, you grew up in the greater Toronto area, Sudbury is a hell of a lot smaller than that place. Yes and no. I think the, so my, my grandparents are actually from Sudbury. I'd never been. And I found that out after the fact, but I like to say that I knew what I was getting into and I actually didn't. But actually, most people, you know, that went to that school were from the GTA. Um, there's, you know, there were locals that went, but they didn't obviously stay or live on residence, whereas everybody else did. And so the the aspect of it being a smaller town compared to what people were used to, yes, was a bit of a culture shock. You could take a bus and in 15 minutes be anywhere, um, which is very different than, than where we all currently live now. Uh, but everybody around us was kind of from the same upbringing. And so it was kind of cool to go through it together, if that made sense. So we were all culture shocked, which kind of made it a weird sense of normal. But I think that part really made it cool too. Like it was just a bunch of different people from a bunch of different places going through the same thing at the same time, uh, which is kind of what's going on right now, actually. Um, very different, obviously. But uh, so, yeah, it was, a, it was a bit of both. Take us through the program. When you got into it, was it everything that you had expected that you had been sold on from the professor that you were speaking to at the fair? Was it completely different? Any surprises? Of course, there were surprises. There was so much more work than I thought coming out of high school. Like, oh, oh you're God. just talking about university in general. I'm talking about the yeah. program. Yeah. Like, damn, I thought it was going to be like, we just talk sports all day. Um, no, it was, it was what they definitely didn't, you know, oversell it. But I think as a first year, like I was... Like 18. Like I, I think I was the first year that didn't have OAC. Uh, and so I had just come into grade 12. And so no matter what, it was going to be overwhelming. Um, but no, they, they did a good job of not just selling it, but being part of it too. So not only did Steve, uh, in, in his case, you know, sell the program, he was also the professor for half of our classes. Again, Laurentian's a small school, or it was smaller at the time. Our, I think we started with 50 students uh, in our class. And I think our graduating class was like 20 and change. And so he was our professor for half of it. So, you know, it, it became obviously more than what you thought, but it, uh, it really opened everyone's eyes to what the business of sport actually is. We had, I'd say, so if we had 50, like 10 to 15 people maybe dropped out in the first few months because they thought they took this course, they got to be like the GM of a team. So when I said that earlier, that wasn't a joke. Uh, and so they left and then it kind of, obviously you know thinned the herd a little bit but you really got into the the meat of it and so for the first two years it was commerce fundamentals so like finance and organizational behavior and marketing and operations and all that kind of stuff uh, there was actually zero sport uh, up until year three so you had to kind of wait it out so you needed a little bit of patience but once we got to year three that's when all the you know sport finance and sport marketing and event management and 
we even took a course in facility management, uh, which is kind of cool. But I had to take that as well. I think that was my least favorite class in my sport management program. Oh, mine was, uh, was it management science? And I think the, the reason I'm not a good test taker at all, I'm very learn by doing and hands-on will figure things out. But if you put a textbook in front of me, tell me to study it and then regurgitate formulas on a page, I just can't do it. Uh, and so management science, um, if anything at school kept me up at night, it was that one because it was the only marks you got uh, was, a, was a midterm with 40% of your grade and a final exam worth 60. And that was it. And for oh, someone who's atrocious at test taking, I was like, can I just do like a case study or some sort of presentation instead? And that was that was hell on earth. And a lot of people didn't get through that one. We actually had one one guy. Um, he uh, so the group that we went to school with, we they played a lot of shinny in Sudbury. Things freeze pretty early, so I think it it must have been a Friday. Is there was they were planning to play a, a big shinny game in the afternoon, but everyone had this midterm or exam. Or no, it would have been the exam uh, in the morning, and so we everyone's like, okay, at two o'clock, I'm making that up. We'll we'll do this. We we got the exam in the morning and whatnot. And so there was one guy in our class who he loved the sport more than the actual work of it. When I say the people who thought they could come here and be the GM of a team, he was one of them, uh, and he'd be the first to admit that. And so he actually decided to skip the exam to rest up for Shinny, um, not realizing that everyone he was playing with was writing the exam. So he may as well have tried. Uh, and it was the one worth 60%. So I'm, I'm the same way uh, as you are with class. I knew early on that I wasn't any good at tests or exams. So I had to work my ass off and I put a lot of pressure on my assignments and my case studies and things like that, just because I knew I'd probably be carrying a bit of a penalty coming out of the exam because of that. And look at us now. Recording a podcast like it's nothing. Recording a podcast like it's nothing. I'm in a little walk-in closet. Yeah. I taught myself how to use Skype 20 minutes ago. (laughs) I know. We made it, man. Up and up. Anyways, so you graduate from Laurentian. You've got your degree. You're armed with it. I assume you come back to uh, Toronto with it. Uh, So funny story. I didn't graduate. Uh, I mean, I have now. but uh, Oh, interesting. where you're, when I first met you, I had not graduated. Part of our program, they have what's called core year. Second year is what they call core year. And they actually take a lot of their is it curriculum in university. They take pieces of from like Harvard business law. So like our corporate finance uh, and stuff like that is, and it's a year long. It's like core year is like the year where they kind of weed everybody out. And so you got to go through that in order to get to obviously year three uh, and four. But you also need to maintain, I think at the time it was, uh, you needed a 60 in every course to pass, I believe. I could be wrong. Again, you'll, you'll see why I don't know. But um, <laughs> corporate finance, let's just put it this way, was not my, my best. And uh, I didn't get through it my first go around. Uh, I still have the textbooks. I can actually see it here. And I don't know if I'm holding on to that just because. But anyway, but they had this weird, uh, in a positive way, Thing where if you didn't get through core year, instead of repeating uh, second year, you actually went ahead to third year. And they called it the loop. You kind of loop around. And so there were about six or so of us that did that, maybe less. Uh, and, it, and it happened, you know, almost every year. And so all of a sudden I'm in third year classes in my second year with, you know, everybody who's older than me. So it actually worked out well because I got to know that group too, who I still work with in, in my day-to-day job. But anyway. So 
what they do is after your third year, you have to do an internship as as part of as part of the course. And it, it was either after your third year, which could bleed into the first half of your fourth year. But I couldn't do fourth year until I had gone back and done second year. It's very confusing as I say it out loud. But anyway, it's picture a loop. I had to do a loop, loop around second year. And so when I actually got my internship at CBC, where we met, I was still technically in school. And then when my internship ended, I don't know if you know this, but when I, I started, and I may be getting ahead of myself with some of the questions, but when I first started at CBC as an intern, it was actually taking you know someone's full-time job. Someone had just left and they said, hey, we'll just convert this into an internship. Come on board for four months, kind of solve the problem for them, solve the problem for me. And then as soon as the internship ended, they said, okay, cool. Do you want to stay on full-time? But I was like, I still have school. Like I haven't finished yet. And so I talked to the university uh, and I was like, is there any way I could do these courses? So if, anyway, I passed second year eventually. And so I was going into like the actual fourth year and I had this, uh, it was a sport finance course, which again, corporate finance wasn't great to me. I'm like, fuck sport finance. I'm screwed. I'm never going to get out of here. So I, I called them and I was like, Hey, listen, I'm, I have a job offer. Uh, I don't really want to turn it down, but I also kind of want to finish school. We've put this much into it. And, uh, our director at the time, uh, Dr. Anthony church, um, he had said, listen, the whole point of this program and this internship is to get students into the sports industry and, you know, working. So take the job, we'll figure it out, uh, which was, thank God, music to my ears. Uh, and then I said, hey, can I do the course online? And because it was just one course. That's all I had to do to graduate. This sport finance course is half a year. Could have easily done it online. But the, the professor at the time was adamant that you had to be in class. And like attendance count towards your mark. And if you missed a certain amount of days, you fail. And I was like, well, I can't commute to Sudbury to do this course. Like it's, it's literally not worth it. And so I just didn't do it for like three years. And I actually got my job at TSN without a degree as well. I hope they're not listening because I probably said <laughs> I might've had it, but I, I actually got my job at TSN without a degree either. And eventually this professor retired and a new one came in and they said, of course you can do it online. So I eventually did it and got my degree. Then, so I, I am, I think designated uh, in like in my own mind as class of 09, but like I think I actually graduated in like I have got 2012 maybe I don't know I should probably check. <laughs> well, did you go back for graduation and everything, the whole pomp and pageantry, or did you just have them mail you the uh, the piece of paper? I had them stick that thing in an envelope and ship it out to me. I, I did the loot. I just I did it very unconventionally, and I think one of the, you know, one thing I. I guess I took from that is, you know, you just, you figure it out. And that has kind of followed me through life a little bit in my short career so far. Can I say short? It's been like a decade. You just, you kind of figure things out. And and that's not to say you just hope and wish that they work out. You still got to put the work in, but not to get too, too stressed when things aren't going according to plan. I think there's the Mike Tyson quote that I share with my team quite often. Everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. And so I have heard that quote. That is a good yeah. one. I use it quite often because it's it's very true. You can plan as as much as you want, and then that right hook comes across. Well, it's and 2020. So the, right, the right hook for me happened to be uh, I was offered a job, so it was it was kind of like a good right hook. But anyway, it it worked itself out. So I did not have my degree when I got my internship. Well, it's 2020, so I think a lot of us are taking a right hook to the face and having our plans. Oh, get it's on not hold. in the face, my friend. It's a bit. It's a bit lower. You're right, and it keeps yeah, coming. Yeah. Right into 2021. So the baby maker. (laughs) 
you get the internship at CBC. Something, yep. an observation I have about internships. It seems like the job description for an internship is very narrow. They want to manage your expectations. But when you actually start, the asks of you are quite dynamic. Would you say the same? Would you say that's the way it was at CBC? You found yourself doing a number of different things, wearing a number of different hats as uh, an intern there? Uh, yeah, I would. Uh, and I think that kind of comes with the territory anywhere. Um, like we have interns on our team now and we're pretty upfront with what the ask is, but at the same time, the expectation is, um, you know, and you don't communicate it. You just, some people haven't, some people don't, you do what it takes to, to make an impression. And if that means putting your hand up for things that aren't in your using air quotes, job description, like people remember that. And so, so I think mine was a little different though, because, um, it was a full-time role that someone had just left. And so it was pretty, the job description was pretty intense. I remember reading it and I was like, Jesus, like, I'm, do they know that I am still on like university? And I, I went through the interview process and I guess I did okay enough to, to land it. Uh, I'm not sure how many people applied because it wasn't like an actual formal internship. I, I wound up actually reaching out to Scott Moore at the time. I just, he came up to our school and spoke to our class. And afterwards I just emailed him and said, Hey, I need to do internships. Do you guys have them? And he said, uh, and again, I didn't think he was going to reply. What did I have to lose? Um, and so he he actually did reply and said, you have an interview on Tuesday. When you get to security, ask for Paul. And that was all I had. Wow. So I, didn't, I didn't even know what I was going for. Um, There's also like out of the movies, like show up here and ask for Paul. I was like, this is kind of cool. Is this how the real world works? But anyway, I, I got there and, well, you know, the CBC building well. Uh, just coming in off Front Street and that giant security desk and I asked for Paul. And they said, Paul who? And I was like, I, I actually have no idea. Um, but I said it was from Scott Moore. And so they assumed Paul and because Scott ran CBC Sports as well as sales and marketing at the time. So I met with a guy named Paul Burke in CBC Sports, who I believe and must have been their HR guy or related to hiring in some form or fashion, especially with interns. Sat with him um, and we just kind of chatted and it was he kind of really worked in the production space. So as, as you know, the CBC sports team is really uh, a production team. The, the sales and marketing team is a whole separate one. I was willing to do whatever. I didn't care. Um, I, I wore my, my finest shoes. I, I borrowed them from my grandfather at the time. And they like, they cut my feet open. Like he wore nice Italian shoes and like, I should not be wearing those. And like, I still have scars on the back of my, my feet. I can see them uh, from those shoes. They cut me up so bad. And uh, so I literally bled for the job. I like to tell people. <laughs> um, and uh, I brought like a briefcase, not really a briefcase, you know, like a. Like an attache case or something. A satchel. Is that, is that what people call it? A satchel. Um, just to make it look like I had stuff. There was nothing in it. Like I actually had nothing in it. And so if they had said what's in there, I'd be like, I, I don't have anything. This is just for appearance. So I was wearing my grandfather's shoes. I brought an empty bag, bleeding through my socks, talking to a guy about a production role I have no business talking about. So that went well, but at the end of it, uh, Paul, I think we had both come to the realization that this isn't what I was here for, but again, I would have done it. I didn't care. Um, but he said, Hey, there's a role upstairs in sales and marketing. Does that interest you? I was like, fuck yeah, sure. Like you could ask me any department. I'd say yes. And it just so happened as you know, Scott ran that team too. Uh, and that's how I kind of got my interview. So it wasn't really even posted. So the job description was a full-time job and the interview process I think was just me. Or at least I like to tell myself that. But the the very long way of answering your question is, yeah, how's that? 
That's perfect. And I mean, I remember because we worked together, you did pretty much everything. Like you had a yep. big hand in supporting uh, the upfront presentation. And didn't you at one time even dress up as, I forget the name of the mascot. Oh, I don't. <laughs> Would you want to tell us? Yeah, it's Peter Puck. That's who it was, Peter Puck. Legendary. I almost said Paul I did the it Puck. Twice. I did it twice. That would be blasphemy in the sports world if you called it Paul the Puck. I can't skate, so I mean, that's blasphemous as a Canadian. So The cartoon, man. This puck's older than the both of us. I, it's not a cartoon I remember growing up, but, but I do remember seeing the costume, and I guess pretty much you were probably in it one of those times when I saw you in it. Yeah, I remember um, I was actually talking to Scott last week about this um, as a reminder um that i did this that uh there was i think it was for so yes i was on the uh media sales and marketing team i think is what it was called at the time back when yep. we were there yeah that's and what it was called so i was on the b2b or trade marketing team and uh it was cbc kids day that they'd um you know do down in that atrium and they would just have a bunch of kids all the characters would come out and the guy who normally was Peter Puck was just very conveniently sick that day. <laughs> and yeah, I call bullshit, but um, what, again, it is what it is. And so being the only intern, because you guys didn't have any interns um, outside of me at the time, I got the lucky tap on the shoulder to fill in at the last second. And uh, so I went down to the storage room and I'm thinking like, okay, a mascot, I've never done this before. But from what I've heard, if you work in sport especially you know especially on like the team side like everyone's been a mascot it's kind of um the rite of passage so to say so it's like all right fuck i'll do it um just where is this thing and i see this massive like bag and i'm like oh shit that like it was three times the size of me um turns out it was that and the worst part of this thing was is it was the original costume from the 70s and it smelt like it was the original costume from the 70s Ugh. and so not only was that part bad, I then had to go down to a children's event dressed as a giant damn hockey puck that smelled so bad and was just, you know, pushed and pulled and kicked and punched and everything. Um, but I had to do it because I was the intern and I did it with a, well, you couldn't tell if I had a smile on my face. I was in a costume, but I did it. And then I think I had to do it again on one of our sales roadshows that you guys used to do. Well, we appreciate you doing that for us back then. Yeah, no, I'm sure. I, I bet you do. <laughs> then an opportunity popped up at TSN, a, a chance to yeah. really channel your passion for sports. How did that come up? Did you find the role or did the role find you? It was actually, um, uh, is monster.com still around? I should know that. But it was posted on a job board like that. And funny enough, at the time, my boss is the one who brought it to me at CBC. And she, uh, if you remember Kim, so she kind of knew where my kind of passions lay. And I was fortunate enough at CBC. A lot of what I did was sport. Like we had some, I think we had World Cup at the time. The yeah, 20- we had South Africa we had, yeah. Yeah, so we had the 2010 World Cup. We had obviously Hockey Night, even Battle of the Blades. I worked on that show, which was pretty cool. They had weekend so, major league soccer like they and the amateur sports as well. It was quite the portfolio. Yeah, it was, it was pretty good. I remember actually building part of my intern duties was also building like the pitch decks for Scott, David Moss, and 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 that group. Um, not the actual content, just putting it together. So I got it was it was that part was pretty cool for me. But then I also worked on show like good shows like Dragon's Den and all that kind of stuff. And like you mentioned, the upfront and, and things like that. And she, I, I guess she knew where my head was at. And she's like, hey, there's this role. Like I'm not going to not tell you about it. Just and so I, I just applied. I didn't know anybody. 
I, uh, I applied online and went through the interview process. I remember the first interview I had, I don't remember the name of the movie. Is it Game On? Remember like that hockey musical? And like George Strombolopoulos had a cameo in it. So anyway. You know what? When you do mention that he had a cameo in it, vaguely, I remember it. It's Score a Hockey Musical. Yes, uh, that's exactly what it was called. Yeah. Look at that. See, I could have been a lawyer. Look at that. You're, who needs IMDb? Yeah, I did not Google it at all. Um, but we were actually at a, a site survey because we were putting on a big client event to for the premiere. And so that was part of my job is to, to kind of put these B2B events on for clients. And so we were at the Cineplex I think it's the Scotia, Scotia theater. And, uh, I had my interview was called at one o'clock and I was like, fuck, I gotta go, but I can't tell her. I was in that weird thing. Like she told me about this job, but like, I don't really want to tell her I'm actually in the running for it. So I forget when I made up, but I just, I hopped in a cab and went from, you know, John and Richmond and John all the way down to, to nine channel nine, uh, in traffic, which was great. So I barely made it on time. Um, and I just, I went through the interview process and, the rest is history. So take it's through, not all about who you know, because I didn't know a damn person. Take us through your first day at TSN. Oh, man, I don't know if I can remember that. I can take you through my first. Oh, come on. They're sitting you down. I'm assuming you had a cubicle or an office. Oh, hey, I was definitely, definitely in the cubes. Definitely in the cubes. And were oh, yeah. you at the Scarborough office? Like you weren't downtown in the much building. No, Scarborough office. My first day was at 9 Channel 9, and I'm still there. Well, obviously, present time excluded. Uh, still there. So it's, it's been nine channel nine across from Scarborough town center since the beginning. So I, yeah, I guess I remember, I, no, okay. I lied. I remember getting off the elevator and back where we used to sit, it's, it's all different now, but the elevator would open on the fourth floor loft is what they called it. And the kitchen was made to look like a basketball court. Like I had like the hardwood floors and the, and the painted lines and stuff. And I was like, this is the coolest fucking thing I've ever seen in my life. Like, this is what you would think TSN looked like. Um, and so that was my first. And then they had like the little shuffleboard table in the kitchen too. I was like, this is my dream. Uh, like I'm not, I'm never going to do work. And then I, I thought to myself, even if I have to do work, I'm doing marketing here. So it's, it's pretty cool. And then I went, yeah, I sat in the cubes with the marketing and events team and actually sat outside of, uh, right outside the office of Stuart Johnston, who is, uh, he had just, I think he had just become president of TSN at the time. He still is. Um, I say he, I like to say he's like my boss twice. He's currently the president of TSN and, uh, Bell Media Sales and Marketing. And I happened to work, uh, in sales and marketing for TSN. And so I, I, my desk was right outside of his office, uh, which was pretty cool just to have, you know, that's where it ran. And I think a lot of people assume or assumed that, you know, TSN is a huge company, but like, it's, it's really not. If you compare it to others, like I had no business sitting next to the president of the network yet. Here I was, uh, which was kind of cool. And it was just, that's the kind of culture that they have there still to this day. Like you could walk into and people do like into Stu's office and just like, he's got time for you. Uh, It was just, it's just a very um, tight knit group. And so I I do remember that too. And so all the executives kind of sat in the same area near Stu. And so that kind of exposure was pretty cool to see like, oh man, these are the people that actually run the network I've been watching since I was like, since I could remember. And then I had sushi for the first time ever that day, the team took me out I, and I couldn't tell them I'd never had it before. I'm like, I can't make a bad first impression. They're like, we're going to take, <laughs> like, we're going to take this cool sushi spot. I'm like, I don't even know if I'm allergic to this shit. Like I could actually die on my first day, but I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. Turns out I'm not allergic, but 
but yeah, that was kind of the initial, you know, entry point to TSN and, and also the benefit of sitting out front of Stu's office. Um, so his, his EA, uh, Sherry, who's incredible. Um, she was actually right in front of his office and I sat next to Sherry. And so there'd be days that he'd come in like, oh, you know, Sherry, I'm busy. I can't make it to, you know, I've got leave tickets and I can't go like see if anyone on the floor wants them. Like Stu was always the first to like, just see who on the floor wants them versus, you know, calling up a friend or somebody like that. And so Sherry would always have these tickets. And because I sat right next to her, I always had first crack and I am not ashamed to say I took them every single time. So the rest of the company probably didn't even know that they were available. So you had a chance to interact with a lot of personalities that you saw on television growing up watching sports center yeah. or God, even sports desk. Were you a little starstruck when you bumped into them for the first time, like at the coffee machine or in the bathroom or anything like that? Starstruck's not a word I would use. Um, did you have to do like a double take and be like, Oh my God, you're Gino Retta or kind of Michael Landsberg think- or anything like that. And, and I think it started at CBC and I got used to it pretty quickly. Just the nature of my, like the upfronts, as you know, they roll out everybody. And so here I am as an intern and like Ron McLean's walking past, especially on Battle of the Blades, where they had all the, you know, professional hockey players and figure skaters working on that show. Like I was like, oh man, like Ty Domi actually almost hit me with his car. I don't know if I ever told you that story. Well, we want to hear that story though. Go for it. Well, he, not intentionally, I will preface by saying, and nobody was hurt. So it would have been season one, because I think that was the season he was on. And part of my role was client hosting for show partners. I think Kruger, McDonald's, um, whatever. I remember those two specifically, though. I remember uh, one of the McDonald's executives. She's not there anymore. So um, her business card was actually a coupon for a free Big Mac. Anyway, doesn't matter. What? Are you serious? Yeah, that was her business card. <laughs> That's it was awesome. so cool. So I'd be like, oh, I lost your business card. Can I get another one? So we, we put on this event uh, where, you know, our clients would come, they bring their families because I think it taped on a weekend. It was still at Maple Leaf Gardens. So it was a really cool experience. And so you'd watch the show and then we'd host an after party uh, in the hot stove lounge, which was also really cool. For, again, this is me nerding out uh, and why some days weren't really like work. And I was, I was an intern. I don't know if I was paid. I'm sure I was. Legally, I might have to say I was. Uh, I'm sure there was an honorarium. But like for me, I was like, this is so cool. Like I don't don't pay me. Like I'm going to Maple Leaf Gardens every Sunday. And so we'd have this private party in the hot stove lounge with, it was clients only and their guests, skaters. um, And then I think maybe production or maybe they had their own because Insight Productions did it. So it was, it was, uh, it was not a CBC internal production. So anyway, we, we hosted these things, but then also part of my duty that uh, Kim, my boss had let me do, I say let like it was work. Like she's like, do you want to be the one to give a tour of Maple Leaf Gardens to our, our guests? So I was like, uh, yeah. So I would give these tours. And I remember after one tour, I had brought them back to the hot stove lounge and then I had to go do actual work stuff. I couldn't, you know, obviously go to the after party. Uh, we had work stuff to do. And as I was walking through like the bowels of Maple Leaf Gardens, like there's this black Mercedes parked in the building. It was the only car in the building. And I found out later, you know, part of or what I heard is that, you know, part of Ty Domi's contract is he wanted to park his vehicle indoors. He didn't want to leave it outside, which cool. There's more than enough space. Uh, so I guess he went through like the Zamboni loading zone. But anyway, so the after party's wrapping up. I'm doing, I think I'm getting credentials ready for the next week or something. So it's just me walking around by myself. And the car just goes flying in reverse because I guess he's obviously going home now and like came within inches of hitting me. Um, so I could have been hit by Ty Domi in the basement of Maple Leaf Gardens working on Battle of the Blades. 
as an intern. Interesting. A lot so, of there are a lot of hockey players that said they could have said that they've been hit by Ty Domi at Maple Leaf Gardens, but they wouldn't have had that like footnote. Me. No one have had the footnote with the car in the basement. Correct. I, I don't think anyone would have ever found me. Like it's Maple Leaf Gardens wasn't in the best shape, you know, at its best. This is the bowels of the building just get run over. I mean, when did they build it? Like, I want to say it was like 1918, It was around the Great Depression. I know that much. So at the time, the building had to have been, if it wasn't 100 years, it was getting damn close to it. Yeah, well, it, it looked it. I think it was really cool from a historical piece, but almost being murdered in it, uh, not so cool. So talk to me about your subsequent role at TSN. So you started off as a coordinator and then you end up moving yep. your, moving up into manager of integrated solutions mm-hmm. and community. How did that differ from your initial role there? The, the marketing coordinator role that I had um, was really focused on, I go back to my you know, university marketing days. There's four pieces of marketing, really focused on the promotion aspect of it. So I was responsible um, for any promotional pieces for for TSN writing, uh, what we call lower thirds on screen, promos that run in SportsCenter, uh, basically driving to live event viewership, creating digital banners, uh, like working with our creative team and stuff like that. So, but then it also, this was, so this would have been like 2009, 2010. We didn't really have a social media presence. Like the marketing team was kind of doing it just because like, hey, there's there's this Facebook thing, we should probably do it. Uh, And so I just started doing that too. And so I was originally the first voice of like the sports center account uh not voice because it didn't really have a, a tone to it intentionally because it's supposed to be news but the tsn account i guess is me and so i'm like this marketing coordinator by day who's writing promos and then at night i gotta stay up to like two in the morning to when all the games are finished in case like there's breaking news or again we were when i say not the biggest company in the world um i mean it uh and so i was doing that and then i forget how it came about I know Natalie Cook, who's at TSN uh, right now. She's uh, one of our vice presidents. She oversees now content uh, and like our, our talent. But at the time, she was brought in to head up a team called Brand Partnerships, which, spoiler alert, that's where I am now. Um, but it was it was a different team at the time, and they had a different kind of function than, than what we do today. There was this uh, need that was being recognized, um, you know, by Natalie in the marketplace where you know, partners were starting to ask to go deeper with their programs and, you know, beyond the transactional elements. You know, when you, you think of those buzzwords of integration and and what media sponsorships look like. And so we didn't really have a team like that, per se. Uh, we had a kind of a sales support team that did the brand partnerships, like the contests and stuff like that. Uh, and that was working, which is great. But then there was this need to really, uh, I mean, it's in the name, integrated solutions, like a client has a problem who's the team that can work with all the stakeholders internally to bring it to life. It was also an efficiency decision, I think, as well. At the time, I believe our sales and brand partnerships team, so there would have been, I don't know, maybe 15 to 20 people between the two departments. They were all going to producers and you know the different stakeholders with these questions, and it just wasn't streamlined. Like You'd have so many conversations, and people were you know, pitching the same idea twice because there was no central team that kind of oversaw this kind of thing. And it, it and as those requests kind of started to pick up, there was definitely a need to to consolidate and get a handle on it. And so that's where this team came from. And so there, there was four of us that were picked internally, one from digital product at the time, Brandon, he was our leader. 
uh, and then myself from marketing and another guy, Jeff Carter, who if there's hockey fans listening, Jeff Carter has played in the NHL. It's not him. Um, he was on uh, a sales team at MLSE, I believe. And then our, our producer slash creative lead, uh, Ken Wong, who is still our creative lead on our team to this day. And so we, I kind of put the four of us in a room and said, you guys don't know each other. You're about to. Here's the new vision. Like this job didn't exist um, when I, you know, there wasn't someone before me that I could be like, hey, how do I do this? Um, is it just, again, going back to my university thing, like figure it out. And so we were the team that had to figure it out. And so we were kind of the behind the scenes group. We weren't client facing at the time. So we would build uh, all these programs and integrations and kind of hand it off to um, what was then the brand partnerships team. And then they would go out and pitch and sell. And so it was uh, myself and Jeff were the two, I guess, development leads. And so instead of, you know, 20 different people going to producers, it was now two. And so we kind of both knew what we were doing. And so if, you know, there's 20 people out, let's say we split it down the middle. I know what 10 are doing. He knows what 10 are doing. We just talk to each other and then it's actually pretty clean. Uh, and so that's how that came about. And we kind of made shit up as we went and still kind of am. We really do wing it quite a bit in our industry, don't we? Even if we have oh, everything planned, even if we have everything planned out well in advance for a presentation leading up to that, we're still winging it. A lot of people don't realize that. No, oh, it's there's the punch in the face piece that we were talking about earlier, but it's also in the grand scheme of things, you have to just the pace of this industry is insane. Um, you know, what you do in January in 2019, you know, isn't what you're going to be doing in January 2020. It's just, it's not. And if it is, chances are someone's doing your job better than you somewhere else because it shouldn't be the same. But also, yeah, like we, you know, fast forward to like today when we get, you know, RFPs from, you know, brands and clients and they're like, hey, you know, we'll give you, if we're lucky, a week uh, to work on it. We still got 4,000 other fucking things. So even though we give us a week, we still may not start till the day before. Like it's, it's everything we have is a function of time. And I don't think that's ever going to change. So yes, we've been winging it for, for quite a while. You said something really interesting that what you're doing in January, 2019 shouldn't be the same for January, 2020, but let's be honest, January, 2021, no one knows what the hell that's going to look like out of all, out of all the guests I've had. I don't think the pandemic has impacted their business more than you because mid March, there was no sports. Well, mid-March, everything came to a grinding halt for you. It started with, what was it like on something like the, the 11th of March where the NBA said, you know what, we're going to pause. And then there was kind of this domino effect, like by the next two or three days, every other professional sport league or tournament in the world had just kind of come to a grinding halt. So just tell us what yeah. it was like when you woke up that morning and you're like, okay, the NBA went. Like, did part yeah, of you think, was, okay, hockey's next? Yeah, that was cool. Uh, I think it was a Thursday night. It was either Wednesday night going into Thursday or Thursday night going into Friday. I, was, I think it was Wednesday going into Thursday. Yeah. So, yeah, that happened, which, you know, there was a lot of one of the benefits I, I really, you know, put a lot of weight and appreciation into and where I work is that, yes, we're, you could say, an entertainment company. I, I do think sports is obviously very entertaining for people and an outlet for most, but we're also a news company, too, um, or a news organization. And so it's really cool being behind the scenes when uh, you know, maybe not obviously the the context of what was happening isn't cool, but just, you know, the actual process of it. And so I literally had a front row seat to this kind of stuff as it was unfolding, uh, you know, before news is breaking, obviously, our, it comes into our, our newsroom and our, our producers who I would put up against anybody 
in the world uh, in terms of how they work. You know, they have all this information before anybody else. And you obviously got to corroborate and verify and yada, yada, yada. But it's like the rumblings that day was, it was kind of surreal just hearing what might be happening, what could be happening, different scenarios playing out. Okay, if the NBA goes, you know, are we, what have we heard from the NHL? You know, what have we heard from MLB? Um, you know, CFL hadn't started yet, but like, what are they planning to do? And it was really, really cool. And it was, Doomsday is a terrible way to relate to it, but that Friday, I don't think I'll ever forget because we had, it was, it was getting bad. I remember like just the cases were spiking and you could see it on people's faces, just like the human element of it all. I was like, what the fuck's going on? Uh, I don't care how long or how little you've been working there. If you're a 22 year old, you know, freelance coordinator or a 25 year veteran, you're like, what the fuck's going on? We've never really had a pandemic before. And so we actually, you know, I told our team, like, don't come in Friday, like just go mental break, work from home, long weekends. We'll just, we'll touch base before, before Monday. <laughs> Spoiler alert, we didn't, um, or I've, we haven't seen them since. And so it was myself, uh, Ken, who I mentioned earlier, who's still on our team, and uh, Ian Davis, who was also one of my direct reports. The three of us were in that day, just like we had shit to do and we wanted to make sure everything was in good working order. And it was like a ghost town that Friday. And we didn't get any work done because we kind of just sat around watching Sports Center all day and just kind of refreshing tsn.ca and twitter and and then the the sport world shut down and it was again at the time it was a little uh, scary it's not the world um surreal because it was literally every few minutes or hour another league or tournament or you know governing body was announcing they're shutting down too and it, it did start with the nba uh, and it was just that crazy domino effect like on friday by end of day it wasn't even shock anymore. It was just like, oh, another one. Oh, another one. Oh, another one. But it was just, it was pretty surreal working where I do on the day or days that that all happened. Would you look back on your career and say that this was probably like your career to date and say, this is probably the single biggest challenge I've ever had professionally trying to juggle what oh, to do next? Yeah. Not even from a business perspective, just from like, I got a team of 13 people that I got to, you know, look out for. And that's just professionally. So like, it wasn't even, yeah, the last six months have definitely been, um, I wouldn't say the hardest either. Like it's just, they're challenges and every day is different and no two people, you know, take it or react the same. I'm, I'm sure you and I have very different implications on it. And I think it was almost the comforting part too, is that everybody's going through this thing. So like, let's just, I'll say it again, let's just figure this shit out. Like there is no, there's no playbook. And that goes to whether you're, you know, Mirko Bivich, the CEO of Bell, down to, you know, again, a freelancer. Nobody's been through this shit before. And obviously a bit more pressure on someone like Mirko. Uh, organization's a bit larger. But yeah, it was, it really challenged and pushed everybody um, in ways that you've never faced before and never will again. And that's not even taking into account our day-to-day -day business. That's just another layer on top of it because again, when sports go away and you're a sports media company, there's a lot of questions around that too. And finding ways to, to not even keep your team motivated, just 
reassured in a, in a world where you might not be able to because you don't know that part was yeah it was challenging but i think looking back everybody will be purely from a professional perspective um because i think there's obviously a lot of personal implications that can't be undone but professionally i think a lot will look back on on this as a a great experience to go through just because of how much it taught everybody jamie this has been a fantastic chat uh, i've got a couple of rapid fire questions for you a lot of people don't like asking answering this question because it's kind of like picking their favorite child. But tell Ooh, us the campaign you're most proud of. Fuck yeah, it is like picking your favorite child. Although depending on the day of the week, you do have a favorite <laughs> child. I'm okay saying that. It's a good question. They're fuck yeah, they're all good for different reasons. I think what we will I'll share it now because by the time this airs, it should be announced. So we are going to be announcing uh, that we are the new partner of RBC Training Ground which is a, a big Olympic program that RBC and the Canadian Olympic Committee put on. So they're going into their sixth year, and this will be our first year. Uh, it hasn't even started yet, and it's probably up there just because of you know everything that we went through to build this program with, with RBC, and including doing most of it during a pandemic. We're doing a shoot this Saturday uh, in Quebec, and we have to figure out how to do that. So I think because of the, the size and scope an impact that it has like we actually get to help find future olympians and the climate that we're in while we're doing it i think is one of those holy shit projects that we're going to look back on so it hasn't announced yet but by the time this comes out it should be your favorite movie Ooh, love dumb and dumber probably says a lot about me that i said that so quickly um but also my big money ball guy again just the business of sport so maybe a combination of those two I'm surprised you didn't say Jerry Maguire because you name dropped that at the beginning of our chat. Yeah. And then I kind of looked into it and realized what it's actually all about. Um, so and I do a lot of the talent stuff now. It's very different, obviously not professional athletes by any stretch, but that be, kind of became too real for me for it to be a favorite. I like to think that dumb and dumber isn't real enough for me yet. So I can still have it as a, as an escape Whereas Jerry Maguire. I'm like, Oh, I talk to those people now. If Hollywood were to make a movie based on your life story, who would you want to play you? Can I do it? Just so when it tanks, no one else has to take the heat for it? Well, kind of the same way Howard Stern played himself in private parts? Sure. I, I'll, I'll join that echelon. Do you think you'd be able to take direction, though, while you're doing it? Because that was something Howard Stern said uh, he had trouble with. Ivan Reitman, the director, would say, no, Howard, you have to do it this way. And he'd push back and be like, that's not how Howard would do this. And Ivan 100%. Reitman would be, <laughs> but I would push back and say, no, this is my film. You're doing it this way. And then he'd fall in line. Yeah. And then I'd say, this is my life. This is not how I would do it. I'm a very, listen, I'm, I'm self-aware, but I also, I'm, I'm a very stubborn individual. So yeah, I'm, I'm sure I would do that. Your favorite book. Oh man. I'm looking at about a hundred of them. I read a lot and I've tried to do a lot more of that over the last few months too. I used to read a book a week before I had kids believe it or not, because I used to take the go train, obviously downtown. I really like the Steve Jobs bio, the Walter Isaacson one, but then also Jim Miller, who's written the ESPN, CA and SNL oral histories. Those are all really cool. Uh, and But there's also a bunch of, yeah, I can't give one answer. And then Michael Jordan, The Life, like that's a really good one. Creativity Inc. Sorry, this is horrible rapid fire. It's just like sporadic fire. So yeah, any one of those. And then there's a whole laundry list of like, leadership and development books that I really like. I'm reading one right now, highly recommend, uh, called Extreme Ownership. If you haven't read it, it's 
written by two Navy SEALs, former Navy SEALs, maybe they currently are, are you ever not one, who take what they learned on the battlefield and are now applying it to business. And it's written really well. Um, so they tell a story of, uh, you know, one of their deployments and what happened. Then they break it down into the principle and then they apply it to real business life. And they do that in every chapter. And it's really good. So extreme ownership. Your favorite song? Oh, I can't pick one. Um, I'm a very moody music listener. I've been to one concert my entire life because I don't really have a favorite group or band or artist. Uh, it really depends on time of day and mood. The best advice you have ever received? Oh, don't fuck it up. <laughs> to the point. Okay. Yep. Hey, do you keep that in the back of your mind? It'll take you far. If you could go back in time and give your younger self advice, what would it be? And it can't be don't fuck it up. Don't change anything. Or I guess you can't because you haven't done it yet. Don't look back and regret anything. I, I try not to regret anything. Like You make a decision for a reason. So it kind of is my end around way of saying don't fuck it up. My signature closing question, if you weren't in media, what would you be doing and why? Ooh. I mean, we'll see how this goes, podcasting. Um, well, I guess that's <laughs> media. Uh, I don't know, honestly. I think it would be in sport in some form or fashion. It would have to be likely sport marketing, which I know isn't the sexiest answer. You could say Harvey Specter, hotshot lawyer, but I'm also a realist. I'd, I'd say something to do with sport marketing. I don't know if it'd be league or team side. It might be through like a brand, like marketing through sport versus in sport, but definitely sport related. But if if IQ was not part of it, I'd probably be in sport law. Jamie, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. This has been great. Thanks, Victor. That's it for today's show. For more episodes, you can go to mediapeople.ca or subscribe wherever you get podcasts. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Vic Genova. <laughs>